Good morning. <laughs> Burr. <laughs> Thank you for coming to share your worship with us this morning and your body heat with us this morning as we uh, try to heat up the sanctuary. Uh, my name is Mark. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Uh, Pastor Eric has taken some vacation uh, this week, so I'm excited to get to open God's word with you this morning. And today we'll be in Matthew chapter 4, if you want to get a jump start on that. But let me open... Uh, with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this day. Uh, I know for me personally, it's colder than I would have um, designed if I was designing the day, but Lord, this is the day that you have given us. This is the day that we will rejoice in, and we will be glad in it. Um, Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you this morning for your word as, as we dig into it, as we open it up, as we look at it. It is our guide, and you have equipped us and, and given us the tools necessary to navigate the lives that you have put in front of us. So, Heavenly Father, give us uh, hearts and eyes that are, are willing to look and see what you have for us today, that we would be willing to, to thoughtfully respond where necessary, God. I pray that you would guide us through our study and teach us what you want us to know. I pray that you would um, allow your word to speak as powerfully as it is. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how would you feel this morning if I told you, all right, now put your Bibles away, we're going to have a test. Ooh, okay, there we go. Now, what if I told you that you're going to be competing against the person sitting next to you and the loser has to buy the other person lunch? Okay, now maybe a little more interest. Maybe some of you, just that word test and your blood pressure just ticked up a little bit. Um, Maybe some of you are thinking free lunch as you're sizing up the person next to you and you're, you're a little more. Maybe you were falsely confident and assumed that this test was going to be about the Bible. What if I told you we're doing 1994 World Cup trivia? Now are you excited? I am. We don't like the word test, right? For most of us, that's true. Um, for many of us, that word has a very negative connotation, are you the kind of person that sees a test as an opportunity to succeed or as an opportunity to fail? We tend not to think of the hundreds of tests that we've passed, but instead our mind is drawn to the particular tests where we have fallen short. Uh, coming off of last week, uh, Eric discussed Jesus' baptism, a time of, of triumph, and this week Jesus is taken out to the wilderness and given a test. So Matthew chapter 4 uh, is where we will be today, starting in verse 1. Let me read it to you. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus also answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, 
Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came to attend to him. So let's look at what's going on here this morning. And and picking up the first two verses, we see the setting uh, of what's taking place. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the first thing that we see is the timing uh, of when this occurs in relation to what we just discussed last week. And we see that this event happens immediately after the baptism. Uh, we see, if you look, in, there's a, an account of the temptation in, in Matthew and in Luke, but in, in the Gospel of Mark, it actually gives a much shorter uh, summary of the temptation, and it almost treats the temptation that we're going to look at today as part B of the baptism from last week. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 12 says, At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And so we see the, the, the quick succession from the baptism directly into the temptation. And I think one thing that we can take from this that we would be wise to be reminded that sometimes after our greatest triumphs, we are the most susceptible to a fall. We're warned about this in 1 Corinthians. It says, if you think that you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. One of my uh, personal favorite stories from the Bible is Elijah's triumph on Mount Carmel against the prophets of Baal. I actually got to, to share that with you guys uh, about a year ago uh, this time. And, and for many of us, where that, that victory at the end of the story is, is where we sort of stop reading. We end at the triumph, but if you continue on in your study, you actually see the next place that we find Elijah is running for his life as he's doubting God's ability to protect him and come through for him. So after this moment of of tremendous success, we see Elijah follows it up with with a moment of failure. That that great high is followed by a great low. Uh, There's an old adage in soccer that one of your most vulnerable times to be scored on is right after you score. We let up when we succeed And Satan, as the tempter, knows this. We see the cause, how how this event came to happen. We see that Jesus was led by the Spirit. Jesus did not get lost. Satan did not catch Jesus when God had his back turned. This was God's plan, and he allowed Jesus to be led there. Now, up to to this point in the book of Matthew that we've been looking at so far, it's been preparing the Jewish audience to accept Jesus and his ministry. But here the story shifts and we begin to see Jesus' own personal preparation for the ministry that lies ahead. It was part of God's plan for Jesus to experience the temptation that we'll look at today. And the other thing that we see is the location of the temptation, and it happens in what we call the wilderness. Uh, there is a hot, barren, and desolate stretch of land between the Dead Sea and Jerusalem where this is believed to have taken place, and there is about 500 square miles of nothingness. It was described as a place in Palestine where Jesus could be the most isolated and the least comfortable. I picture it as a hotter version of most of Alaska. <laughs> Alaskans, we, we understand this idea of, of being somewhere and being empty and alone, but unlike most of the rest of humanity, we tend to go out there on purpose. 
as I described the barren, desolate wilderness, I could see a glint in a few of the guys' eyes here thinking, that sounds like a great place to build a cabin. But to the un-Alaskan audience, as we describe the wilderness, this is the kind of place that you would intentionally try to avoid. But Jesus went out there entirely alone on purpose. And so we only actually have this account because he passed on the account to his disciples. There were no other witnesses there with him. But he felt that it was important for them to know, and they felt that it was important for us to know. And so there's a lot of good questions that are raised uh, by this passage. And I think the first good starting one is, was it a test or was it a temptation? And I think the best answer is yes. Most versions of the Bible probably that you're looking at tend to translate it temptation. That's the, the common word that we see. But the Greek word that, that's there, periazo, is a neutral word that actually means to test. Uh, But when it's talking about the possibility of doing evil as the test, then they tend to translate it to tempt. So we see it used both ways. And since the devil in this situation is offering the test, it's better described as a temptation because he's attempting to entice Jesus to do evil. But as you recall, the Spirit led Jesus out there. So this was clearly something that God had wanted Jesus to go through. And the Bible is clear that God never tempts anyone to do evil. But God can and does use circumstances involving temptation to test our character. We're told in the the book of James that we're to celebrate tests of our faith because it is through tests that we develop perseverance. And biblically speaking, tests are often described in a positive tone. God allows the testing into our lives to strengthen our spiritual muscles. So as, as we try to balance these two competing forces, I see it as both a test and a temptation. A temptation at the hands of Satan becomes a test in the hands of God. So let's see how, how Satan goes about and, and tries to tempt Jesus. So we see the first temptation, verse 3. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. The first two temptations uh, start off with Satan saying, If you are the Son of God. And Satan is not doubting Jesus' deity, and, and he's not really trying to get Jesus to doubt his own deity either. He's more sort of goading him on. Since you are the Son of God is, is more like a first century equivalent of a double dog dare. You're God, you can do whatever you want, right? Now, would it even have been a sin for Jesus to turn the stones into bread? This is the same Jesus who turned water into wine and turned a few loaves into a feast for thousands. So Satan is clearly asking him to do something that he's capable of and willing to do. So what is the particular big deal today? It would be a temptation because it would be asking Jesus to go against what God had called him to do in this situation. The Spirit had led Jesus into the wilderness to fast, and solving the problem on his own without the leading of the Father and the Holy Spirit would have been providing for himself outside of God's will. It might not sound like that big of a deal, but Jesus said elsewhere that he could only do what the Father allowed him to do. Jesus came to live a truly human life, and that involved hunger, fatigue, pain, emotional, physical, 
sadness, and other. And it wouldn't be following the will of Father for him to just turn up the deity side of things whenever it got hard or uncomfortable. And so Jesus responds to Satan in verse 4. And he answers them, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus takes Satan back, referencing verses uh, when Israel should have trusted God for their provision and taken him at their word. Now, unlike Israel, Jesus is going to trust God for provision even when it's difficult. Now, not to say that food isn't important, that it wasn't a, a legitimate need. Uh, food falls under the need category, not just the, the wants category. But we as a humanity tend to have a, a struggle with, with food. We have an unhealthy love of it. Uh, we've created entire TV channels just about food. We've created Instagram so that we could show all our friends what we've eaten that day. Holidays are defined more by what we're eating and less about what we're celebrating. There's an entire Snickers ad campaign based on our susceptibility to make bad decisions and be cranky when we're hungry. And humanity has had this struggle for a long time. Our first sin involved food. But Jesus, when confronted with, with genuine great hunger, is going to lean on the promises of God and not on his own ability to solve the problem. Now, Jesus isn't denying the good gift of food to us. He's just reminding us that there are things of greater value and importance, and he points directly to the Word of God. Now, I have to ask, do you value the regular nourishment that the Word of God provides? Do you see it in the similar light that Jesus portrays? Wayne Grudem put it this way, to neglect regular reading of God's Word is as detrimental to the health of our souls as the neglect of physical food is detrimental to the health of our bodies. Now, I, I go and play basketball twice a week, and if I don't eat something before I go and play, I don't have the energy to run slowly up and down the court, and I perform, perform much worse. How hungry is your soul for nourishment? How hungry is your soul for the Word of God? Is it strong enough to stand up to the attacks of the enemy? Now, I don't know your experiences with temptation, but the devil has a certain persistence about him, and so he continues. We see the second temptation picking up in verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift up their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So here we see Satan takes Jesus up to the, the top of, of the temple in Jerusalem, and there was a spot that was about 450 uh, feet high off the ground where this could have occurred, and Satan tells him, jump. God loves you. He'll catch you. Rumor has it you're pretty important, Jesus, and Satan quotes the book of Psalms to prove that God will protect him. And here we see Satan uses the Bible against Jesus that is fighting dirty. Like, I'm the youngest of three brothers, and this is the equivalent of when they grab your arms and make you hit yourself. Like, I'm not saying that that ever happened, but if it did, this is what it would feel like. Satan knows what God says, and so we had better know it as well. 
Satan has a habit of not fully contradicting the word of God, just twisting it enough to be wrong. Think of what he said in the garden. Did God really say? And this, I think, is just a good reminder that just because somebody's quoting the Bible doesn't always mean they're right. One of the things we hear so frequently from Eric is context, context, context. It's quite easy to cut and paste parts of the Bible to get it to say whatever we want. And if Satan can use the Bible out of context for his own purposes, you better believe that we're capable of it as well. And so Jesus responds to him in verse 7. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. If we truly believe that God is in control, there is no need to force his reaction. True biblical faith is taking God at his word and being obedient without needing further confirmation. Think of it in the the context of a marriage relationship. Setting up a situation to test your spouse's love for you does not build trust. It shows a dangerous lack of it. We can be guilty of this at times as well. We create scenarios and tell ourselves, if God loves us, he will respond in a certain way that we have predetermined to prove his love to us. I think in those times, God looks down at us and asks, which one of us is God? We find ourselves in dangerous territory when we think that we're smarter than God. Now, the Satan guy, he's good. He does not take no for an answer. So we see he continues into a third temptation. Verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. He says, Jesus, if you will just worship me, I will give you the world. Now, why would Jesus ever consider worshiping Satan? Why is this a genuine temptation? We know that God the Father promised to glorify the Son and give him everything, but it was not an easy path to get there, and Jesus knew the path that lie in front of him. Instead of enduring the long, bitter, humiliating, painful road that leads to the cross, Satan counters with an offer of glory that came with a much quicker and a much easier solution. But Satan makes promises that come with a catch. You can have whatever your heart desires, if. And too quickly we respond without realizing the full cost of what's offered. Credit cards are a wonderful example. Free money is very expensive. And we see the weight of the burden of the cross very clearly in Jesus when we get to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus, in full agony, says legitimately to the Lord, is there any other way? Satan offers Jesus a proposed shortcut around the cross. We see Jesus' response in verse 10. He said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Which is a very uh, stinging rebuttal to Satan, whose one desire was to be worshipped like God. And so Jesus decides to stay the course 
and pursue the goal in God's timing and in God's way. Which is often much easier said than done because shortcuts are very tempting. We find ourselves sinning when we try to get things on our own timetable outside the will and the plan of God. We get ourselves into trouble not always because we desire bad things, but sometimes we desire good things, but when we want them, when, when we feel like we need them. Selfishness makes us impatient, and one of the fruits of the Spirit is patience for this very reason. Jesus has finally had enough of Satan, and so he exercises his divine authority and commands him to leave. And we sort of see the, the finish to it. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. The, the, the temptation has come to an end. And I think that, that, that says what it needs to say, but I like the ending of the, the account in Luke better. It's, it's a little more haunting. Luke chapter 4, verse 13 says this, When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Satan is an opportunist. Even in his defeat, he's planning his next attack. If only he gave up so easily. So one big question uh, that you might be asking as, as we're reading through this is, could Jesus truly be tempted? So let's pray, and um, I'm glad you came today. This passage is one of those interesting places where we see the full head-on collision of Jesus' humanity and his deity. And we tend to have a better grasp of stuff that's sort of God stuff and stuff that's human stuff. Uh, And it can be hard for us to grasp those things that that land in this middle where it's a combination of, of Jesus being fully God and fully man. Jesus had a human nature like ours that was temptable. But unlike the rest of us, Jesus was not born with a sin nature. And if you think about it, Adam was actually the last person we ever saw who was confronted with temptation without a sin nature. And Adam, in his own strength, failed. Adam, in the midst of perfection, failed against temptation. And here we're going to see the example of Jesus in the midst of desolate wilderness and hunger. He was able to stand up to temptation. And the reason is Jesus could never be separated from his divine nature. He was fully man, but yet he was still fully God. Jesus doesn't forget to pack his deity with him when he heads off to the wilderness. Jesus' human nature was always going to be submissive to his divine nature, and it could not act independently from it. So it's true, in Jesus' humanity, he could be tempted. But it's also true that in his divinity, he could not. Now, the Bible affirms that we have a high priest who was tempted, just as we are. That's what we're told about Jesus. And I think it's true to say that Jesus endured temptation more fully and more completely than we ever have. Think about that for a second. Now, here's the the illustration. Imagine that that I got into the boxing ring with Muhammad Ali in his prime, okay? Just let you wrestle with that one for a second there. 
as quickly as he could catch me, I would be knocked out. Can we all agree with that? And I would tell you after the fight, many hours later, when I come to consciousness, that man, that Muhammad Ali guy could really punch. But in reality, I wouldn't fully know the punching ability of Muhammad Ali. Now picture someone else who, who goes toe-to-toe with Muhammad Ali and, and takes all of his punches and lasts the full 15 rounds. Now you ask that person after the fight, and they say, man, that Ali could really punch. He stood up to the full test. The minute that I'm knocked out, my test has ended. Jesus went the full 15 rounds with temptation and with Satan. And he emerged on the other side as sinless as when he started. That is an answer that none of us can give. That's a level of temptation that we have never known. So what can we learn from all this? Other than being thankful that our salvation rests in Jesus' strength and not ourselves. I think one of the, the really good things to take out of it this morning from the temptation of Jesus is that we get to see the devil's playbook. Satan is not just fortunate, he's strategic, and we see three of his strategies here today. The first is, the devil came at Jesus when he was weakened. We tend to harass people when they kick someone when they're down, but Satan responds, can you think of a better time? In our humanity, we are much weaker than any of us would like to admit. When we're hungry, when we're tired, when we're sick, when we're frustrated, when we're sad, we are more susceptible things that might prove or provide the promise of instant relief from present circumstances. One could argue that perhaps a 30 below week in the darkness of January might be a time of particular temptation for many people. The devil came at Jesus when he was weakened, and the devil comes at us in the same state. Second thing, the devil came at Jesus when he was isolated. How much more are we at danger of temptation when we are alone? Ecclesiastes 4.12, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And Satan is full aware of this. Our tempter can be very patient and strike when we don't have any support. So I ask, are you surrounding yourselves with other believers to strengthen you? A Christian life lived in isolation is a Christian life lived in weakness. And the third thing we see is that the devil tempted Jesus with things he was capable of. Temptation is strongest when it's within our reach. Presuming that it would be a sin for me to dunk a basketball, Satan could tempt me with that every day. It's not going to be a good use of his time. Now, it might be easy for us to, to disregard Jesus' temptations and see our inability to relate, because I'm, I'm not tempted to turn bread or stones into bread, but I am tempted to provide for myself. So we have to recognize that, that, that we are tempted in similar ways, although not the exact same way. Satan tempts us uh, with similar things, but he does not give us the exact same temptation. So it may be easy to read through the temptations of Jesus and say, well, I can't relate to that. I don't have that struggle. But it points to different struggles that we all face, and we all try to solve those problems in our own ways. In Jesus, we see an interesting example of the side-by-side, the danger of temptation as well as the path 
of escape. Imagine the advantage a football team would gain by having a copy of the other team's playbook. Now imagine your frustration if you found out that the team didn't study that playbook. In Jesus, Satan tips his hand, and we see how he thinks, and we see how he acts, and we would be foolish not to know it and not to be prepared for it. I want to leave just a a couple of practical tools for dealing with temptation in in your life and, and in mine. And this is not an exclusive list. There certainly could be others added to it. The first one is this. Know the word of God. If the word is supposed to be a lamp for our feet and a light for our path, how many lumens are you putting out? If Jesus' first line of defense was an intimate knowledge of the word of God, why should ours be any different? Are you reading it? Are you studying it? Are you memorizing it? Are you talking about it? Do you know the word of the Lord? Second one I would say is this. Decide ahead of time. We aren't as good in the moment as we think that we are. If we're thoughtful, we can forego a lot of temptation by simply avoiding beforehand situations that will tempt us. See the temptation coming and sidestep it before it ever happens. Ask yourself, or better yet, ask another brother or sister in Christ, how you plan to handle situation X and temptation Y when it comes into your life. Joshua tells the nation of Israel, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He's telling the nation, decide now how you plan to act in the future. The third uh, tool for handling temptation is this. Don't be afraid to run like Joseph. Sometimes our hubris can be the false belief that strength is best displayed in our ability to resist temptation. If it caught you off guard, if you didn't see it coming, or sometimes Satan's just really good at his job, do you know how to run? It cost Joseph a good cloak, but it could have cost him a lot more. And the fourth thing that I would remind you and leave you with is, get back up again. Christ died for us while we were sinners. His love for us doesn't ebb and flow with the quality of our decisions. Don't let shame and guilt multiply the consequences of our decisions. Temptation is a reality for all of us. I wish that there were places we could go to avoid it, but that does not exist. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, are you prepared for it? And are you thankful like I am that the full weight of the sin and temptation fell on Jesus, and yet he continued his perfect, sinless life to the cross so that my failures, my temptations, my moments of weakness can be dealt with. Amen? Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for grace. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for the things that you have offered to us through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. Thank you for um, this God-man that you sent as the perfect sacrifice so that where I fall short, where I miss the mark, where sin grabs hold of me and temptation strikes, Lord, I can come to you as my Savior that has been offered up in my place. 
Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that my salvation rests not in my own human hands, but in the hands of my Savior. Thank you for a a Savior that walked through temptation, stared Satan in the face, said no, and told him to go away. God, may we have that same boldness, that same strength, as we confront sin and temptation in our own lives. Heavenly Father, we ask for your help with this because truly and clearly, we cannot do it in our own strength. We ask this in the power of Jesus. Amen.